Brown Genius is a podcast in full color spectrum dedicated to providing a platform for underrepresented voices. This Chicano Picasso production is brought to you with generous support from the Arts Affinity Group. Thank you for listening. One, two, one. Many sick, many sick. One go for many drink, many drink. Diversify scope, money straight, money straight. Proper simple, human being, human being. So fresh, so clean. My mind, limousine, my quasar, so my crown, I king, my beam, so mean. My gangster lane, I bomb your scene. My people get free, root the tradition. Set the condition. Break the system. Forward transmission. What up? Brown Genius, here we go, we're back again. We are here with... Los Mocochetes! Yes, yes, this is Mo Speaks, a.k.a. Chicano Picasso. And this is Cherie Love Mestiza Brown. And we're in the studio today with one of our favorite bands in Denver, and really one of our favorite bands uh, internationally. So let's get right into it. Uh, Tell us who you are, what your role is. And uh, where your peoples are from. Yo, what's up? My name is Hoser. I am the newest member of Los Mocochetes. I do a little bit of emceeing and I play a little bit of percussion. Um, My family originates from Juarez, Mexico. I was born in El Paso uh, and I've been here in Denver for a minute. And so I'm just excited that I get to create with these amazing artists. My name is Steven or Esteban or Estebang on the drums also known as Tio Bon Bon, so I've been playing the drums for a long time from Washington, D.C. originally and born in France and part Algerian, part French, and that's bringing all the rhythms from all over the place right here to the band of the drum kit, on the banjo, or whatever. So. What's up, y'all? My name is Joshua uh, Yeshua Abeta. I was born here in Denver, Colorado. My family comes from Nuevo Mexico, from the north side. Um, halfway between Taos and Las Vegas, there's a verdant valley called Mora. And um, one beautiful thing that you'll learn is that um, our other guitar player and madman genius creator is my third cousin from New Mexico. And we found that out after starting the band Los Mocochetes, after meeting through Youth on Record, which is a wonderful nonprofit organization in Denver that we all are connected to somehow. Um, I play trumpet, guitar, and vocals, and sometimes accessory percussion. Um, Sometimes I play the bass. Sometimes I play the laugh. And um, I'm just grateful to be here with these mocosos. What's up? My name is Diego Flores, a.k.a. Douglas Flowers. Uh, I play bass, bajo, guitarron, guitar, and I sing sometimes. Um, I love this band because when we get together, it's like a whole bunch of mad geniuses getting together to fight a cause, um, the cause, because we are the cause. And uh, we're just trying to look for a new way to affect things positively. My name is Elias, a.k.a. Eloy Johnson, and I happen to play guitar in this uh, wonderful group of fantastic musicians, activists, poets, and wonderful people of all different styles. And uh, I originate from here in Denver, Colorado. My family is also from New Mexico with my cousin Joshi over here. And we get down, you know, we get we clown around a bit like a bunch of morons from Mora. 
And then we get down to some serious business and start making some change, making some waves, because if not, we won't have room. So it's an honor to be here. I'm from space. <laughs> and my other name is Randall Buttercream, because that's what a beta means in Spanish. Nice. Buttercream. Just to tie up all the loose ends. <laughs> you have to stay informed. Like it, yeah. like it. How y'all doing out there in the cyber world? Hola. We are Los Mocochones. And uh, we're going to do a song for you. You want to talk about it, Hoser? Yeah. The song is called Grab Your Rocks and Throw. Uh, it was inspired by all the craziness that's going on in this world and sort of like the feeling that we have to do something about it. I think it's a metaphor more than anything. It's not literal, right? Grab your rocks and throw. Um, sort of just saying stand up for, for what you believe in. Even in the times that people discourage you or even in the times where you feel like it doesn't matter if you stand up, right? Uh, just remembering, I, 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 we wanted this song to be sort of like an anthem for, for some sort of revolution. And so um, me and Josh worked on it a little bit. And so I, I'm really glad that it came to life. So I hope that it inspired folks the way it inspired us. Come on, come on, grab your rocks and throw. The 
Today is the day that we all had enough. Fight for what was yours. Today is the day that we take back control. Time to let them know. People are tired of bearing their own. Let our children go. Government amended by the bills to get away with anything by simply cutting deals. Whoever said that power came with a piece of steel? The sirens remind us of all of the violence, the reasons why we fear inside. Ayo, we known for protecting, we all for neglecting. I'm seriously scared for my life. But who the hell gives a damn about me? To them, I'm just another brown loader in the streets. But, but to them, I say, fuck the police. I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Come on. Revolutionary maladies Stop my mentality I think the cops can be watching me They be stalking me What you want from me? Huh? But there's still people dying every day And it's my job to say it on the stage I'm scared to die because of things that I say But I say them anyway So if you want justice Stand up and put your fist like this Come on huh? And if you down for the cause Grab your rocks, let's get down, come on, come on, grab your rocks and throw. The day is the day that we all had enough. Fight for what was yours. The day is the day that we take back control. Time to let them know. The people are tired of bearing their own. Let our children go. All right, for those of you about those who identify as being uh, Chicano, what does it mean to you to be Chicano? Uh, what does your Chicanismo look like? How did you find it? Eating tamales for Christmas? <laughs> Gotta Dude, have it, something to un- unwrap, right? Dude, it's crazy. Like, literally, my mom is from Juarez, and every one of my tias makes at least five kilos of tamales. So between the three, four, five aunties that decide to make tamales... I have like 30 to 50 kilos of tamales being distributed throughout my family in Mexico. And it's like on the third day, you're just like, we still have tamales? Like, like, like they're still good? Like, <laughs> they're delicious, though. After the third day, though, I don't know. Tamales. Like the 28th? What is it? Wait, 27th days? Yeah. I identify as Chicano. Um, uh, I think a, a big part of... Uh, Choosing that, well, I think the, the beauty of it is that, that that's a chosen title, right? That's something that, that, that we chose for ourselves. I think that throughout history, we've been called so many things, right? And, and this is something that we found, that we created, and that we chose for ourselves and for our people. I think the term is actually really welcoming, um, and, and it, uh, it, it really, it's not just about, you know, being Mexican-American. I, I know folks who, who are white who, who who sometimes identify with with the chicanism or the chicano movement or the mestizaje mestizaje can't say the word mestizaje there you that's right mestizaje um uh, I, for me it, it, it the, the 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 name of the, the the title came from from working in theater i uh, know denver's is 
such a huge place historically for the Chicano movement with Corky Gonzalez and with, you know, with all the things that were happening here in the city. Um, and Su Teatro was one of the, you know, organizations that really got me in touch with my heritage and my, my Chicano and indigenous side. And so for me, it really means a, a combination of cultures coming together as one um, it, it, with, the, with the goal to, 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 to be inclusive and to, to, to help each other improve our living situations, our living standards, and, and everything, and, and fight discrimination. And it, it, honestly, for me, it felt like a, a, I was almost a wandering human who, who didn't have necessarily a home. And with Chicano or the term in, in the community, I really found the home. You know, you're never white enough for America. You're never brown enough for Mexico, right? And so I think that that's, where, that's why it's powerful and such a beautiful movement. I think a big part of my identification with the Chicano part of me and I think what really strikes a chord with me is the fact that we are we are blood that's been mixed through through um, conquest we're part European ancestors and we're part um, part of our ancestors were already here on this part of the earth and those two cultures clashed in a very long drawn-out bloody battle um, most of which was one-sided in terms of the atrocities that were committed upon the other. And so as you start to figure out your identity, and especially here in America where really our culture is discouraged, um, we're discouraged to connect to that culture because then we'll have availability to connect to this vapid capitalistic American culture where our culture is all about who's got the freshest Jordans on and who's got the nice car. That becomes your culture. Um, <clears throat> but the more that you start to reconnect to your bloodlines and to your actual traditional culture, um, the more that you kind of cast off that American way of thinking and you become interested in where you came from, in the languages that your ancestors spoke, and you become interested in the traditions and the rituals of your ancestors. And for someone who was raised Catholic and didn't learn about indigenous culture until I literally went to prison um, and sweat lodge, went to Sweat Lodge for the first time, to be able to connect to that ancestral voice in me was the closest thing that I ever had to a spiritual experience considering I went to Catholic church every Sunday and never felt connected to that. Um, so a big part of my spirituality comes from exploring my indigenous roots and where those come from. And even if I never know what tribes I came from, I know how I feel when I hear a, like a Lakota prayer song, even if I wasn't in particularly Lakota. I know how I feel connected to that as opposed to how I feel when I hear like a church hymn. Um, so for me, it was like rediscovering that and having to take the steps on my own um, because my whole family pretty much had kind of given up on it and not through any conscious effort, but you know, that's just where we were when I was born. So Bamba, uh, you having that Algerian French, uh, background, um, you know, how do you, how do you relate to, uh, these, uh, these Chicanos and being part of this very like Chicano band? Well, it's uh, an interesting question. I mean, I think for me, you know, growing up in Washington DC where you have tons of, different people from all over the place it's something that gives you a chance to just appreciate the diversity and you know even out here where you have uh, about a third of our population in denver is is uh latino 
I guess 90 plus percent of them are actually Mexican American. You know, where I grew up, there's a whole neighborhood right five minutes away, and everybody there was Salvadoran, you know, and you have these pockets of different ethnic groups all over the place. And I always kind of wondered where I fit in. And, you know, when you apply for a job or you're going to school and you got to check, well, what box are you? And for me, they always put me into the Caucasian box. And I think it's interesting. They say, well, if you're from Africa, well, if you're from below the Sahara Desert, then you're black or you're African-American or whatever, but, but not you Arab peoples that are Algerian or whatnot. And another thing that's interesting, too, is you find that people that, uh, you know, I guess we had our revolution, what, from colonialism here in 1776, something like that. And that happened in Algeria in the 1960s. So it's like they're almost 200 years behind all that when they finally cast off the shackles of colonialism from the French. And around that time, too, that's when my mother and her 10 brothers and sisters started migrating over the, the Mediterranean and moving to France. And, you know, it was kind of like two or three of them at a time would all go over. And people said, well, that's kind of like how the Mexicans cross the border. And so I don't know, maybe there's some parallels there, maybe not. But uh, I think part of it, too, is just the choice of just loving the rhythm and the flavor of Latin music, even growing up as a kid and as a drummer and a percussionist about the polyrhythms and all that stuff. Just something I've always been able to dig on. And uh yeah, I mean, technically, I don't check the Chicano or the Latino box, but, you know, you give me some drumsticks, I think I could fit into that square right. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Damn yeah. straight. That's my theory right there. <laughs> Theo bam bam. Word. Um, does anyone in the room connect to the mestizo identity? Uh, definitely. Um, I feel, well... Where I come from is my, my dad, he's a Chicano, uh, born and raised in Colorado. His uh, mom is from New Mexico, northern New Mexico, uh, Springer. And uh, his da- uh, my dad's grandfather was Philippine, and uh, he, we got the last name Flores because he tried to change his last name from Aquino and, uh, to fit in with the Mexicans. And uh, I think that was, like, the early 1900s. And then, um, so my dad is, like, a quarter Filipino and uh, Chicano. And my mom is 100% Mexican. So I'm half Mexican and then uh, a native Filipino and then whatever else my dad is. Um, but I find, like, nobody... I, I, I didn't know I was Chicano until... I was told, hey, you look like a Chicano, you know, like I was just always immersed in the community of um, going to lowrider shows and uh, like just uh, wearing tandos and and dr- always dressing up and like just uh, I just from a young age, that was just who my dad was. And so I just always wanted to be like my dad, you know, more than anything. And so... I just followed it in, in what he liked to wear and what the way he walked, the way he talked, you know, and the the charisma that he carried with the way that he talked to people and um, just who he is. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that. That's beautiful. Yeah, you and your pops have a very clean aesthetic um, <laughs> when it comes to um, the way you dress. Um 
But yeah, for those uh, listening at home, you know, we we explore this idea of mestizo identity um, a lot and, um, you know, kind of wanted to talk about like what that means, what that is exactly. Um, for myself personally, like I really gravitate towards this idea that mestizaje uh, in the tradition and in the vein and the way that um, one of my favorite authors, philosophers, badass um, uh, women, uh, Gloria Anzaldúa, the way she describes mestizaje is like it's this blended culture. Um, you know, we are not one or the other of anything. It's like this this fusion, this blend um, from from so many different places at this point. You know, there's the Chicano identity, the, the Tejano identity, the... Um, the Spanish, the Africana, the um, everything that's been mixing and blending over time here in the Southwest, especially and specifically, you know, like uh, and and in Mexico, you, like you have this. It, it used to be a derogatory term, and some people may still have negative connotations to it, but it's. Um, she was embracing it as this really beautiful identity. She would call it uh, la raza cosmica, like the cosmic race. Like at this point, we've just blended so much that we're something completely different. We're something completely new. And that comes with a new identity, a new consciousness even. So like these, this, this blended people comes with the, and brings in and ushers in a new consciousness uh, of the people. And, and, and that's something that I strongly identify with being, um, of mixed ancestry myself. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of put that out there about mestizaje. Um, we hear a lot about African diaspora, right? Or uh, a, a Spanish-speaking diaspora with respect to Latinos or, you know, when we're called Hispanic. Um, you know, this this idea of diaspora, this cultural connection and common experience that you know, a certain people has uh, throughout the world. And I guess um, we're kind of wondering what y'all think about, like, a mestizo diaspora, you know, um, or, or, or a future of Chicanismo, or maybe a future more so of, of mestizaje, right? Like, we're in this time where identities of old are kind of falling by the wayside, you know? There's not a lot of young Chicanos, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of young brown folks in the Southwest, but there's not a lot of young Chicanos. And mestizo is this kind of older term, which in some ways, you know, maybe maybe it's coming back and is more appropriate for, like, these blended times, right, in, in this future that, you know, sees many of us um, with these indigenous roots but not having a tribe. So, yeah, I guess... Any of these thoughts y'all may have on the future of Chicanismo or the future of mestizaje? Just real quick, what did you mean by there's there's not a whole lot of Chicanos anymore? Like, what do you mean, young Chicanos? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of young Latinos or Mexican-Americans I work with who, like, 20, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago, they, they would have considered themselves Chicano, right? But But now, as popular culture has all but, like, washed that away... And the, you know, the movement and the energy and the cultura around Chicano, it's like that all got washed away through the media and Chicano became just like a gangster thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like there's a lot of misconceptions and 
Uh, there's just not a lot of young folks anymore who really like proudly claim that in relation to what it meant, you know, to be to be an activist. I, de- I definitely feel that. But I, I definitely feel there's like uh, two sides of it. Like so myself, like my dad, he uh, so my dad, he was born and raised here in in Colorado from the north side. Um, and, but um, I have friends that have parents that are uh, both like um indigenous are are indigenous to mexico they're both uh from mexico and so uh they grow up they they grew up speaking spanish in their house like you know like they they like answer the phone and talk to their mom in spanish and like every time i went over their house i would talk to their mom in spanish you know like uh like they were still very much had a mexican culture in their household you know like i feel like myself like my my dad he was very much like like we're going to listen to war and like you know like we're going to we're going to you know like it's just who he was you know um but i definitely feel you like i definitely feel like chicanismo ha- um, was very strong in the 60s because there were a lot of people from here um, that were proud to claim their Mexican side but weren't directly co- connected to Mexico. But now there's uh, an influx of people that are directly connected to Mexico so much that it's like, soy un mexicano, you know? Like, I, I, like I was born here, but both my parents are Mexican and, like, so you're making kind of like I'm a Mexican American, or you know, like uh, these ideas um, of mestizaje is very much like futurism, you know, still um, to the masses. And I feel like it's awesome that we're having these conversations because um, there are a lot of people amongst like uh, like in Denver. There's like a hard hardcore um, community here, you know, that um, there's enough people to have this conversation. But in places like uh, Georgia or, you know, like uh, places where there's a different population dynamic um, and maybe not be as diverse, you know, like the there's like the stragglers, like, where are my people's? You know, like, where are we at? You know, and um, hopefully they can, um, like, have children and and mix in, you know, and uh, so and create communities, you know, and not have to just, like, move to, like, feel a part of something, you know, and just create it where they are. Um, I feel like that's a big thing, too. Like, uh, I feel like there's a lot of people might. Yeah. You know, when I first came here, my 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 father. uh he was here already before we were, um, and so when, when I I told him that I identified as Chicano, he he was ashamed, right? Like he he looked at me with disgust, like how could you even say that, right? Um, I think part of that is right, like the, the, the what like you said, the, not a lot of folks are growing up identifying as Chicano. I think part of that is because of the white divide and conquer mentality. You almost feel like right, like. Um, my my father ex- experienced uh, an extreme level of discrimination, and I feel like he feels mainly from other people who look just like him, right? People who who Chicanos, right? The, the way he sees them, I mean, that's a term that he identified with those people who discriminated him because they were they were taking their jobs or why this this like this middle class idea of they are taking our jobs that we should be doing, right? And I think a lot of that division happened, right? And we have all these things happening. I feel like part of the reason why it's not so powerful is because of that. 
But I feel that it is important for for us, right? Is is the generation who, I mean, I guess we got the leftovers of the Chicano movement, right? But to make sure that we bring that back, right? We still have the recipe, is what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. And so even though even though we we might have leftovers, we we know how to recreate that revolution and we know how to create that movement. So I feel like it is up to us to make sure that people keep that we keep that this this movement going. You know what I mean? This this name, and I know my son will, and and so I think it's. It's on a it's on a one to one level, you know. Individually, that's how the change has to come, in my opinion. So let me ask y'all this: If what if the elements of Chicanismo, whatever those elements may be, what if those elements carry forward into the future, but it's not called Chicano, right? How do y'all feel about that? Um, I'm cool with that. Just as like honestly. A lot of people, you know, like a lot of people are trying to, like, I'm trying to say this in the most caring and loving way possible. But I guess what I'm saying at the root of it is there's a lot of people looking for labels for themselves. And so they're creating all of these different words, you know, and at the root of it, you know, we're just people. And, uh, on an individual basis, you know, like, if you want me to call you this name, I'll call you this name. Um, and, like, I think that should be enough, you know? Like, uh, maybe we, maybe, like, individually we need a couple names to not get each other confused, you know? <laughs> but, like, I mean, I know who you are if I look at you, you know, because thankfully we are made that way. We are made individual enough, individualized enough to know, you know? It's crazy. My girl's mom has, like, a bunch of dogs. And I trip out because every time I go over, I know exactly which one is which because, like, they all have their own little personality, you know. And But they're, like, the same breed of dog, you know. It's, like, if you can't tell humans apart, you know, like, <laughs> you need to, like, look up more, look in people's eyes. When I think Diego brings up a great point that, especially in this modern society and where we live, we're taught to that we need an identity. Like, we feel... We feel left out if we don't have a specific identity. And you see people creating all of these like subgenres and subdivisions of everything from gender to race to ethnicity. Um, but when you really follow all of the all of the enlightened teachers, whether it's Buddha or Jesus or whoever is like an enlightened teacher, um, a common theme is to disconnect with your identity, to feel yourself as part of a whole. Because the more that we pursue this individualism, the more it becomes about our own ego. And for me, I don't have attachment to labels, or at least I'm trying not to have attachment to labels. Um, because you, you can call a rose whatever you want to call it. But like Diego said, if you walk up and smell it and connect and communicate with that plant, there's a, there, language is like a half-assed attempt to try and describe something magical or something divine and we spend most of our time trying to put these symbols to these things and of course our brain works categorically where we want things to fit so that we can identify them but as far as a a label for our culture so many of us have been disconnected from whatever that culture once was and those original indigenous languages that we're never going to recover that there's no recordings of sitting bull you know there's no video of Gettysburg like 
none of that historical stuff can be preserved. So if we want to adapt and, and survive in this new world, we have to be willing to just cast off this idea of we have to fit into a box. And the more adaptable we are, um, the more that we're going to be strong in the face of any adversity, adversity that comes our way. Word. I feel that. I feel that a lot for sure. Um, <clears throat> one one particular thing, um, or the way that I have made sense of identity and labels, is that um, for me, I like the identity markers that um, let you know who your ancestors are or, or were. You know, I feel like I, I resonate with those the most. Um, you know. Uh, any kind of markers that you know like oh the, that's where you're from th- that's your lineage those are your people like ways to describe like your tribe because it, it it perhaps can inform a lot about who you are and how you um posit yourself in the world and your worldview you know and i think that can be a very powerful thing to embrace um while at the same time um existing and living beyond that with your essence i feel like is what you're getting at and how that's the most important you know recognizing that you are just a piece of the whole and how this identity is just a piece of the whole we forget that it's just a piece and not the entire whole thing you know um and that we still uh, it's it's just how does this particular how do my ancestors relate to your ancestors and how does my ancestral magic relate to your ancestral magic kind of thing. Um, so I definitely, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. You know, I was thinking about how, uh, you know, back when we were all kids, we were all listening to Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and all that. And Straight up. When I was right. a child. And, yeah. my, that was my first, I'm still a kid. That was my first CD ever. It was Doggy Style. It was in my oh, wow. Santa stocking. I was oh, like 12. Wow. <laughs> Explicit <laughs> version. Wow. Thanks, Dad. I mean, Santa. <laughs> and I mean, you think about as of a, the products of the African diaspora and, you know, the things that became celebrated and ultimately, you know, it became cool. And it's like something about blackness. I'm doing the quote thing with my fingers became cool. And you got white kids wearing baggy pants and buying lots of hip hop records. And, you know, I mean, it makes you think, well, for the future, is there going to be a parallel with the Mestizaje as well that, Certain elements of Chicano or Latino culture are also going to become cool. And, hmm. and what are those elements, you know, 20 or 30 or 50 years from now that are still going to be around? And I think part of what we can do as human beings and people that celebrate that history is to bring, you know, some of the past with us. And it doesn't have to be about the Air Jordans and the baggy pants that were cool back in the 90s. Uh, we're chilling here in Youth on Record Studios. We're about to play the first song we wrote together as a band. Um, it is the namesake of our band, which is Mokoshete. What's a Mokoshete? That's a good question. <laughs> a Mokoshete is a compound word that we invented that combines the words Mokoso and Machete. Really? Yes. The song is called Mokoshete. Thank you. 
nothing and I have no rage to find them. I am called the soul of God because we're all the same. All my people to the front. If you wanna be the change, be the change. If you wanna be the change. quality about your music where it's like it, it totally sounds like now or or something out here five years from now but it, it sounds like it could be from the 70s you know or from the 50s um well the future or the future right yeah. <laughs> i don't know you know if we were to think of um misty zahe as having like certain elements or ingredients you know like that we wanted to preserve and and uh see those things move forward in the future you know like what what would that look like authentically like what what kind of like local and global culture may may come about um as a result of you know the blending of our cultures and our creativity but like something that has substance you know something that has soul i think part of that would be food i think that i think that it comes back to like you know sabor because when it being being a person from new mexico I, myself and Josh live in that one like gray area 
you know, like we have like a people that almost like, you know, this area that we're living in here, Colorado, Texas, Arizona, it all has that like particular kind of style to it. That's like, you know, a mix between like, you know, being Native American, being Mexican and being, you know, even uh, just like, you know, from European descent. And I have all of those in my blood. I have all of that as part of my conocimiento to who I am. And it's weird because I'm, I'm a pelirrojo. I'm one of those people that looks straight up white. I look like an Irish kid that just got off of the boat, you know? And some people could see me as that. And being being a young kid here in Denver, I grew up. And people people thought that, you know, they were like, I mira este, mira este, just talking all kinds of stuff. And then I was like, hey, wait, que me dijiste? What you talking about, you know? And I, I recognize that, but it's but it's like part of, you know, where I'm from that like, you know, I, I somewhat like, you know, something I could bring along would be something like green chili, green chili, hatch green chili, things that we grew here in our backyards and our whole families have that little bit of a different taste because that comes just from the soil. You know, those are the things that we can bring with us that are parts of us that like, you know, we don't necessarily have to grow past or really change anything about. These are like the connection that we have to something that, you know, our grandmothers made. You know, it's something that we wake up to in the morning. We smell those refried beans and there's something about that that we just can't forget, you know? Mm. And then that also comes with all all styles because that sabor also translates to music. Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, it separates the difference between a cumbia and, so, you know, merengue. You know, very similar styles, very similar rhythmic beats. But man, do they make your hips move in different ways. Right. And then you, you know, take that and then you go come over to New Mexico and you hear some like folk music that sounds like it could have been from Germany, you know, with the accordions and all of it, you know. And then just like, you know, about four or five months of a, you know, goat trip down to Mexico and you'll get some guitarron in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so like you know it's interesting talking about like you know the things that we're going to be bringing with us because some of those things can't really go away mm -hmm. like i think about i think about like you know the use of adobe mm -hmm. the use of like you know different traditional styles of living that you know you really only learn through like you know being around people that have done it mm -hmm. and that that's what i kind of feel like our part of our society is kind of like you know lacking on is actually listening to our elders mm -hmm. talking with them and learning from them like you know learning things like techniques on how to how to get frijoles out of the seed pot that they're in mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even know that they have a pot you know <laughs> a lot of people think that there's something that came out of the can but truth is is that there's a whole process to it you know <laughs> it's it's not just like you know oh yeah i'm gonna go run over here and get get that it's like we're missing a whole part of our culture mm -hmm. when we're starting to talk about like food living conditions how we get water how we irrigate our fields mm. and that's a huge part of like you know societal upbringing that we're missing out on but thankfully like you know with the more that we're coming together and starting to talk about this we're learning more and more about like what's an acequia mm. what does that mean you know how do you use it do you actually cook with it you know sometimes you can but sometimes you know it depends so i feel like you know all I got to say is sabor. <laughs> and I think it's imperative to think about, like when you're talking about futurism and the future of Mestiza, like let's just think about the future in general and thinking about where we are in the real world and the context of which we're living in and the challenges that we're going to have to face considering Trump's incoming regime 
um, and all of the ways which we've made slow, gradual process over the last half of a century that are in very real danger of being wiped out again. Um, And when you have that many people with their hands on power levers who have no interest in you except for what you do to feed their pocketbooks. Um, there, there already has been a long-standing cultural war that goes back about 500 years to when Columbus first landed on, on Pachamama and when they first started transporting sla- uh, people who were enslaved from the um, west coast of Africa. And you think about how that cultural war continues today and you think about it's nice to think about what we want or what we wish for our communities to move forward, but what, what is it that our communities need? What is it that they need from us? And that's when you start to dissolve that individualism and you think more about the collective you, and you listen more and you ask what's needed. Like, what are those elements that we need to survive? And you see a lot of people who are studying um, sustainability and studying permaculture and things like that, they're looking at how the Cheyenne lived, at how the Kiowa lived in the, in the forest. They look at how these plants were cultivated over time. Um, you know, it was our indigenous ancestors that first figured out that you could, like, keep peanuts and just have that as a winter food for when nothing grows. And all of these things that we're going to have to get back to as the earth faces real ecological peril. Um, as the water starts to run sour, as everything becomes polluted. Um, and of course, I'm not trying to be a doomsayer, and I don't, I don't want that for the future. But these are challenges that we have to face and think about. Otherwise, we're not going to have any options um, at some point. And I think a lot of that mestizo history speaks to our ability to live that way and to live sustainably into the future. And those are the elements that are going to be required of us to carry forward as stewards of this land and stewards of the air and the water and however else we can um, we can work together to not allow Mother Earth to perish or at least the environments on Mother Earth to perish because the Earth's going to be fine. It's just what's going to be left on top of it. I think, too, I mean, what we're doing right here, right now in this room, just having the conversation about it is so vital and you know, not to talk too much about the election or how disappointed a lot of people are about it. I think it really revealed our country's true nature. And, you know, as much as I was personally disappointed, I think what I, I was surprised and kind of shocked about was the amount of hate crimes that happened, like the day or the week that Trump won the election. And, you know, even in my hometown where I'm from, you know, the things that happened, people, you know, going into schools and making very public how they felt about certain things. So I think not only talking about it and really just voting, in particular that midterm election halfway through, if we can get a few more people voting Democratic and, you know, kind of level the playing field. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, maybe a perilous time, but I think, you know, sharing what we know and getting the young people more and more involved, that's going to be vital in the coming years. This song is about some crazy stuff, you know? It's like, I don't know. This song is kind of self-explanatory, so if you don't get it, then go home. <laughs> go back to where you came from. What if it's here? What if it's right here? Well, then stay. You probably get something if you do that, you know? 
I don't know what to tell you, bro. I mean, it's like, do you really want to go? Because it's like, you know, you got to go all the way around town. You know, because the good carnitas are on the other side, you know? It's like, all right, I'm down.
Without tribal recognition, personally, I, I feel like being a, a person who identifies with their indigenous roots um, that doesn't necessarily, uh, in my opinion, it's one of the it's one of the hardest things, but it's also something that like uh, I feel like it's a specific privilege, right? Like I don't even know how to describe it. I, I do feel like I, oftentimes I find myself um, trying to convince people that I'm indigenous, right? And trying to, to convince them of my own identity or what I identify with. Um, and I think that the main thing that really, like, for me is other indigenous folks actually giving you that, like, either you're an ally or, right, you're, but you're the homie, right? Like, whatever it is that you may be, I see you, right? And I, and I hear you and I, and I respect it because you're trying to, like, live our ancestors' ways. Um, I think that's the biggest struggle you know what I mean? Like trying trying to get other folks to to see you for what you really are as well. Diego, describe your tribe. Who's in? Who's out? Sure, everybody's in. Unless you want to be out, then you can come back when you're ready. <laughs> so on this uh, notion of of tribes and uh, indigenous solidarity beyond tribes, uh, let's talk a little bit about Standing Rock. Uh, for those who don't know, who may be living under a kneeling rock, ha, uh, explain to us the significance of <laughs> you like that. <laughs> explain to us the uh, significance of the Standing Rock movement. Uh, just give us like, you know, the basics, Joshua. So, Standing Rock first caught my attention in early September. I was planning on going to the Black Hills Unity concert in Black Hills, South Dakota. And that week is when the news came out about water protectors being attacked by dogs, which were part of a private security firm that was hired by the Dakota Access Pipeline to stop what they were calling protesters who were taking exception to the fact that the Dakota Access Pipeline and Energy Transfer Partners were building a thousand plus mile crude oil pipeline through indigenous territory and 
were desecrating sacred sites, burial sites, and wanted to cross the Missouri River in Lake Oahe near the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Reservation. Now, the reason why that's a problem, or one of the reasons why it's a problem, is originally the pipeline was scheduled to run just north of Bismarck, North Dakota. Bismarck is the capital of North Dakota, and I believe there are, it's somewhere between 60 and 80,000 people. You can look up the numbers of how many people are there, but 93% of that population is white. <clears throat> the citizens of Bismarck opposed the pipeline being constructed upstream from their water source, and so that pipeline was rerouted to be upstream of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Reservation um, water source, which is the same river. It's just downstream from Bismarck. Um, I believe the Standing Rock Reservation has less than 10,000 people, and it is mostly Native American, mostly indigenous people. Another fact that was interesting to me is that Bismarck's re residents average about 22% above the average um, median for income, whereas uh, uh, I think it was around... 40% of Standing Rock is below the poverty line, or it could even be bigger. Um, so not only is it a very different makeup um, genetically and, and um, racially, but also financially and economically. So in April of this year, a small council of people went to the, the area where the pipeline was scheduled to cross the river, and they made a camp to... Um, to, to protest the pipeline. But they wouldn't call themselves protesters, they call themselves protectors. So the significance of it is this is the first time in history that over 300 tribes have gathered in one place to fight for a common cause, which is clean water. And when you frame it that way, where you're not fighting against something, where you're fighting for something, that changes the... Um, psychology of the battle because it's really easy to be anti-capitalistic. We saw how big of a movement Occupy became, but we also saw how it fizzled out because there was no central, um, there was no through line. There was no, there was a purpose, but there wasn't clear what that purpose was. Whereas with Standing Rock, there was an actual issue at hand that needed help with. And so, those young people who started with the camp of maybe 20 or 40 people grew to over 5,000 people in a matter of months. And even though these water protectors were unarmed and have um, mostly acted in peace and prayer, and definitely the indigenous people, what you saw was people who were coming from outside of the tribe who were not indigenous, who created some scuffles with the police that turned violent. And then, of course, the police used very heavy violence to um, combat that. And you saw people being sprayed with water and freezing temperatures. You saw people being shot with rubber bullets. You saw people being hit with concussion grenades, and one woman's arm was very severely injured. She almost lost it. Um, and a host of other violent reactions to that. So Standing Rock is a symbol of of solidarity where people can come together to unite for something that's positive and something that's going to affect future generations all the way down the line. Right. Um, what is it like 
or what was it like as an artist to be on the ground in the camp with uh, the many nations who are um, holding camp at Standing Rock? I think the biggest thing that I learned, um, on, I've gone twice now. I did one trip back then in September, um, and then that was just an overnight trip to help take supplies, so I didn't really get to see the culture as much as I got to witness on the second trip, which Eli was also part of. Um, and I'm sure he'd like to speak to his what he learned. What I learned was that if there's any hope for the future, it's going to require an uphill battle, and it's going to require nothing short of a miracle. And that miracle is going to be those of us who are like this question you asked, Hoser, we identify as indigenous, but we may not know what tribe we come from. We may not know where our people lived, but we identify with that, with that culture and tradition. Um, all of us coming together and accepting each other and coming together with respect and with reverence for um, whoever's land we're on at that particular moment. I think what I learned from my second trip, a trip where we spent all of Thanksgiving week, um, which some would call no thanks, no giving, or thanks taking, is that I have a lot to learn personally, and I have a lot of conflict to resolve within myself. And that comes from being of mixed blood. It comes from growing up in this country where I'm pulled in all different directions, whether it's from corporate media voices, my family's voices, my ancestors' voices talking to me in different ways, but really finding that harmony within myself because I can go out and volunteer and I can protest or I can do whatever, but if I haven't worked on the, the internal struggle, I'm full of shit. I'm not going to be able to like be of service or be of help in any way if I haven't, if I haven't come to terms with that, which is within myself. And what I found, especially after the election, was I was very angry. And that anger is something that I've had for a long time. And when I was a younger man, that anger took control of me and it made me do things, allowed me to do things that I would never have done if I had dealt with that anger in the first place. And I've caused a lot of destruction for myself. And if I'm constantly destroying my own personal world, how am I going to help the world around me? And so on our last day, we were blessed by a Lakota woman, and she straight up said, you're not here to heal the Indians, you're not here to save the earth, you're not here to, hit, hit, here to heal the water, you are here to heal yourself. And that's the most revolutionary and radical act that you can do, honestly, at this point. Amen. Elias, uh, is there something you want to add to that? And, and I would ask you to talk about... Uh, any current and future plans that you as an individual or, or you all have as a band to uh, support future struggles of Standing Rock? This is something that resonated with me heavily outside of what Josh said, because what Josh said has a, carries a lot of truth. And something that I heard a lot at the camp while I was there was talking about decolonization. What does that mean? What is that? And a big part of that is realizing how all people have been colonized. It's talking about how we need to go back and see those things that have happened to us that are like, you know, genetic memory. 
pretty much. So like like myself and Josh, like you know, I have parts of my blood that are that lived in harmony with native people in New Mexico and this region of the country, but then I have other sides of me that committed atrocities. And those are things that for myself I have to heal so that I can help that out. And I don't know exactly all that entails with that, but I know that this journey that I'm on is already in that direction of going deep and being able to look at myself and say, wow, because there's a lot of things that we don't even think about that are part of our colonization. And something that I've been hearing around for a while is talking about how, yes, there have been African-Americans that have been colonized for 500 years or plus that, way more sometimes, depending on what part. There are Indians that have been colonized, there are Native Americans that have been colonized. But something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot that we got to talk about more is the European people that were colonized. The fact that there were English people that were indigenous to, to England and indigenous to that region of the country, but were also colonized by the Romans. That was way far back. This is just talking about how believing in one system to take care of everything is, you know, the biggest part of colonization that we have to break down. How as a communities, when we come together, is how we start to build that system. How we start to actually root what happens. And I feel like, you know, the place that we are in right now, Youth on Record, is one of those places where those roots run deep into every crevice of Denver that I have run into. There are people that have come through here. So I guess looking forward... We got to, like, you know, start talking about what that colonization means to us, to our bodies, to our minds, to our spirit. How far has this run? Do we even take into account the fact that we are walking on sacred land here in Denver? The, like, you know, I, I learned this later on after about how the convergence of the Cherry Creek River and the Platte River is a very, very sacred place. And it's completely torn away, completely, you know, everything has been dug up. There is no remnants of the sacred ground that used to be held where the Native Americans would see the bison on the other side of the river and let them roam free because they knew that that wasn't the time. They would have to go hunt them much further on. And I'm talking like, you know, weeks, months of tracking these animals just to see them again. So I feel like, you know, there's a big part of us respecting the land that we're on. And understanding that, you know, we may have some bits of that blood that are in us, but part of that is being able to stay in prayer and taking grace with this land, being being thankful for every single step that we get to take and being a part of this human experience here. I think there's a part of us that really needs to go back and start analyzing that this land is not ours. We do not own it. We cannot own it. Word. Um, I I feel like uh, one thing that always gets left out of the conversation when we're talking about colonization is that, um, you know, there's the the, the decolonizing piece um, that is massively essential, you know, breaking things down and like returning to root. Um, but that process in and of itself is supposed to be liberating. You know, we're not supposed to get just stuck in that one part of like breaking it down, breaking it down and like we're decolonizing everything forever. Like it's supposed to be freeing. It's supposed to there's supposed to be like this 
this this other element you know beyond it that that feels much more liberating where you are able to exist beyond those confines um that colonization you know has wrapped so many people under um and so i i I definitely think that that's that's a really important thing to remember as we're doing these explorations within ourselves and so speaking of liberation Let's talk about the band. <laughs> All right, Steven. Uh, your band, uh, Los Mocochetes, is by all accounts here in Denver, one of the most fun and inspiring shows in town. How do y'all manage to be both revolutionary and fun? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's something that uh, it really just happened, you know. We... Uh, been playing music with Josh for a little while and hadn't really met Diego or Elias before and you know one day we were just right here at the Youth on Record studio and started making music and we were just having so much fun and I think that's part of it when we come together as a as a group a four piece or a five piece the energy that we bring and the energy that's created when we're assembled you know, it's. I think it's just something that speaks for itself. You know, we're having a good time. The music is fun. The people that come to see us play shows are having fun, too. And it just keeps going and, and keeps growing, too. And that's the neat thing. I've played in a lot of bands over the years, and I've never played with a, another ensemble of musicians that really gained as much momentum as this group has in, in a short amount of time. And not only that, but it really has gained as much appreciation as we have, too. So... I think we really got a, a unique combination of flavor, sabor. Definitely. I, I, I can attest to that as an audience member. Um, it, it's, it was very interesting, you know, um, seeing y'all play recently. Um, as an audience member, you know, like, uh, we're having, like, a multiplicity of an experience um, being able to see multiple lead singers. I feel like that is something that's really unique to this band and unique in general. Like I, I don't know that I've ever seen it quite work out the way that y'all work it out and how it creates such a, uh, a dynamic range of sound for the band, you know, having multiple lead singers or multiple leads on any given song. Um, and it, and it becomes very clear that y'all y'all stretch the sound of the band very beautifully uh, because of that, and it's a, it makes for a very interesting like viewing and listening and like vibing experience because you don't know what that next vibe is gonna be, and and, and it's always really surprising. Like um, like keep zombie, I was just like what like the, but it totally fits into like the scheme of things, and um, uh, so. Uh, as a question, you know, how does that that interesting like structure, the band structure, play a role in how you make decisions or how you practice what's possible for music and bands? You know, like because again, that's not something that you see every day. You know, and h- how do y'all make that work with different leads? I feel like each one of us just has uh, been on this journey of finding ourselves for a while. You know. And uh, through that journey, I feel like 
find like uh, you you get to know what you like, you know, and what and what you like is is what you choose to do. And like um, like every day, every week, we choose to get together and and play our mocoso music. And like um, all of this, uh, all of the material like comes from um, each one of our experiences. And it's cool, like how uh, each one of us um, has a rabbit hole that we like to go down and uh, just like. Uh, can like uh get creative you know like uh each one of us is like really passionate about the craft that we have and like uh are constantly trying to grow in every way you know like um like steven has songs on the guitar you know like he he's he has songs that he's written that uh we're in the stages of 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 like of like writing more stuff you know like because it's like a it's like a every song is like a collaboration you know somebody brings an initial idea but um to build it all out is another thing you know um and it's cool uh like i said at the beginning like when I feel like when I get together with Los Mocos shit, this it's like a whole bunch of mad scientists coming together to make like the craziest shit possible. Cause like, I mean, like there's time changes all over the place. There's like key changes. Now we're gonna modulate, and then it's like, and then samba. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cool. All right, cool, man. I I captain. What I think what really speaks like what creates that energy that you speak to is that. We've all, and here's a couple things. One, we have a nice mix of ages. Mm -hmm. So like Bon Bon and I are both in our mid-30s. These guys are young as, you know, they're like the youngsters. Hoser's kind of in the middle, lower middle. So like we have, we have enough of a difference in perspective, but we have a through line. We all listen to hip hop. We all like love Earth, Wind, and Fire. We all connect to a lot of the same elements while having enough individuality within the group that it has a nice mixture it has a nice palette and to balance the the goofiness and the fun with the like serious of the subject matter because we do talk about gentrification we talk about war we talk about um you know people who have been forced off their land violently but we also want the music to be accessible and from being in other bands where it was like hardcore about the message, but it wasn't as fun, you, you can turn people off really easily. You know, like you have to be able to give people their medicine in a way that they can digest it until they get used to that. And then you can like give them a little bit more of the bitter side, right? Um, and so what's cool is everyone has their specialties, but everyone's like Diego said, constantly growing and evolving in their own right. Everyone's trying new things, you know. Eli will pick up my trumpet in the middle of a rehearsal and just try it. And we all have that trust with each other. I think that's a big piece is that we all were friends before. And so there's not so much that we're aiming for anything. It's we all trust each other's musicianship and worksmanship. And when we come into a room, it's like, here's my piece. And then I, I'm just going to like watch you guys make magic because we're also fans of each other. Like, I will go to a show and watch Diego and Elias play and just be happy listening to their music. Mm-hmm. I'll go to a play and watch Hoser perform like we did last night and be in awe of his like his abilities on stage. And that's what's great about the band is that we all are genuine fans of each other's work. That's what's up, you know, especially like, you know, um, y'all are representing, you know, the divine masculine on stage, you know, and, and so to see, you know, y'all share space with one another and share that musicianship, share that, um, 
um, that love for one another, you know, you, there's an element of ego that you have to let go of, you know, like, no, there's no one front man forever. And that's just it, you know, and you see bands fall apart because of it. And but being able to like share and, and, and also be that example, you know, um, is, is, is really beautiful to watch, especially, you know, coming from uh, Tu Hermana. You know, <laughs> watching it happen, watching it play out and how this is it's it's um it y'all are um, exhibiting a model that could exist on so many levels anywhere else. You know, like organizations uh, sharing that leadership, sharing that space, um, how collectives are run, etc. So so thank you for um, yeah, being such a vibrant display of what's possible for the future of music and, and collectives. Uh, there's so much more we want to talk to y'all about. We know we got to wrap this up so that uh, a couple of y'all can get to Su Teatro, where you have uh, a play going down tonight. What's the title of the play? Joaquin's Christmas. The most Chicano name ever, huh? <laughs> right? I am Joaquin to the store to get some Skittles. <laughs> All right, to wrap this up, uh, Brown Genius, can everybody give us... Uh, a concluding word that comes to mind when you hear that phrase, brown genius. Maravilloso. Suavemente. Besame. <laughs> Underrated. Ritmo. Green chili. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Gracias to you all. Thank you. We are here with... Los Signing off, Brown Genius, Chicano Picasso. Cherie, love Mestiza. Wow. Yay. This is a, a song, so this is a song Diego normally plays on guitar, but we're going to try him playing it on the guitar <laughs> on for the first time. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Ever. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. This is going to be fun, though. I'm excited. Uh, this song, uh, the lyrics came on the light rail and what i was doing was i was writing um a, about reality what people were giving me um from the from what they put on or you know like uh telling their story really telling my story right because we're all reflections of each other but um how i perceive them and telling a story within that and uh so the lyrics um Kind of makes sense, and they kind of don't. But they they, they definitely uh, make me feel something when I sing them. So here, the, here it is. The sun will shine. Oh.
Gracias for listening to Brown Genius. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes and spread the word. You can find us at browngeniuspodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook. Brown Genius is hosted by Molina Speaks and Cherie Love Mestiza Brown. Produced by Rodney Sino Cruz. 